Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Let's do it. Boom. I mean, we should be live now. Yeah, here we are. It How should about be up. That? It's it's up. We've been live for, for 10 seconds now. I love oh, it. I love my it. goodness. So for everyone that listens, anyone that listens to the podcast, you know, I am the voice, Chris, that's always talking and making jokes and laughing while James takes everything seriously, tells all of the good info on baseball. And this is us on our first live stream. James. I love it. I love it. I think. So last time we talked, we were talking about our divisional breakdowns, but I believe the time before that, we covered infield like pretty completely. I believe we did something like, Mm -hmm. I think I counted it off. I think it was 64 players in just under an hour Mm -hmm. uh, I ended up analyzing. But uh, I think we we, we talked about, you know, doing a little bit of a talk on uh, on that here, didn't we? Like on, on the live stream, like this is... The we main did. topic, yeah. We and did. I, we, yeah. I'm going through all of my my little notes that I have. We didn't finish. Yeah, there was one player that mm-hmm. we 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 missed on. You know, it should have been 65 players, but I kind of glossed over him. Uh, that was Starling Castro. He's coming back from. Yes, it yeah. was Castro. So Castro. we didn't do we didn't do left field, right field. And then you wanted to talk about Castro. That's exactly well, what it was. Too, and DH. Oh, center field. Okay. Yeah, I have DH today, down. I have yeah, DH down. All four of those we got to do today. But I do want to, you know, briefly touch on Castro. Castro, he had a, he had like a serious wrist injury, like before he could even get started in 2020. So in 2019, yes, you have the juiced ball, sure. But you know, Castro, he he was a top prospect. He's always been seen as a guy who. His bat was eventually going to come around. You know, he, he's got a good swing. He's got good contact ability. Uh, if, if it was ever going to come around, now's the time because he's starting to get into his 30s. Uh, in 2019, after I believe the first month was over, he got better every single month of the season to the point where, especially in the second half, he was putting up, you know, totals that are a little bit more in line with what we'd expect out of, you know, a normal season from Adrian Beltre, like back in the day. You know, like three, three hundred and you know plus batting average, three fifteen batting average, uh, higher than that maybe. Um, lots of doubles and lots of homers. Um, I believe he was about thirty five percent above league average if you just look at that second half. And if you take out the first month of the season, he actually was a monster that year. Now, yes, the juiced ball clearly played a part of it. But I do see a change there. I do see that he's taken his game to another level. And a contact hitter like him, he's going to have uh, a lot of that power just disappear if he has a wrist injury. So it makes me think, is he going to rebound to a certain degree this year? Is he going to get some of that ability back from 2019, that that, that breakout, if you will, uh, this coming season? Um if he's fully recovered from the wrist with the lineup protection that he has for the Washington Nationals, I think it's going to happen. So I do want to name him. And then I briefly want to touch on some of the infielders who didn't 
make that group of elite guys for mm -hmm. me this year. Um, Brock Holt very much looks like either a partial product of Boston or somebody who needs a little bit more of a lively ball to hit better. But I do love his ability. He can kind of play everywhere. And if the hitting ability does come back, he's worth mentioning. Because someone who can play everywhere at an average or above average clip uh, and who can hit, that's an exceedingly valuable player. Um, Bo Bichette, superstar talent. Uh, the one thing I want to mention with him is that I think that there's a strong possibility that he has his sophomore slump this year. And he was brought up through the minor leagues very quickly. He's got a great swing. So I think what could happen is um, he has a great like, first couple months and then he tires. I think that's probably what will happen in the end of the season. Um, he'll just not be able to produce as well because he won't be hitting the ball as hard. Um, that being said, in the future, I think he's a superstar. I think you know moving forward, that's what he is. Just this year, there's going to be some adjustments and uh, things that he's going to have to do with regards to conditioning in the offseason, and then he'll, he'll be set. Um, then there's Cabrian Hayes. Uh, Hayes is an elite defender. Um, plus plus base runner. Um, he was brought up very quickly. Uh, when he went from double A to triple A, he only hit at a league average in triple A. And then he was brought up the next year immediately to the big leagues. Um, I'm worried it was a little bit too quick and some of the power is just not going to be there over a full year. That being said, he is a really good hitter overall just for contact. He's a very smart player. He's a plus-plus base runner, and he is an elite defender. So he does come up as just borderline on the list. Like, he almost makes the list. Um, then you have Carlos Correa, who has back problems, but without the juiced ball um, and without the trash can banging and whistling, if you will, of the 2019 and you know, 2017 seasons, uh, I don't think he's anything close to the same player. If you remove the first, like, 10 games of his season last year, his slugging percentage was like 317. If you look at the second half, his uh, batting average was below 200. Um, it really looks like the cheating and juice bowl helped him. And then when you add on the chronic back problems, uh, I just don't feel comfortable putting him as an elite shortstop when there are just so many good shortstops in the league. I mean, he's kind of just like the divider between the, the plus shortstops and then the below average shortstops because – you know, what if he somehow finds a way back to, to hitting? I mean, he has the tools for it. He has the prospect pedigree for it. Um, but such a fall off. I mean, it may take a while for him to adjust. So he's kind of like that in between. Uh, then there's Jorge Mateo. I don't know if he's even going to end up playing the infield anymore, but it's worth mentioning him here because he's has an extensive background in the minors at second and short. Um, He's got true 80 speed, ridiculous speed, and he does have pop in his bat, but I don't think he has enough strike zone control to access it consistently at the big leagues yet. If he does, you're looking at a, a ridiculously fun-to-watch player, although a maddening one, because he does have some baseball IQ problems. He needs to be a little bit more intelligent about his roots in the outfield uh, or in the infield, either way. Because uh, he, he also plays center. Um, and he needs to be a little bit more intelligent on the base paths and a little bit more intelligent at what he swings at. But I also watched him the other day hit like a double and a single, and then he scored the first run of the team 
that that day. Like nobody else was scoring, and he just that easily. Um, so it's not like he can't hit. I mean, it was against good pitchers, so uh, he definitely has my interest. Uh, outside of him, we got Elvis Andres, who just changed to Oakland. Now he's going to have lineup protection. Um, then you got Taylor Walls. Walls is a uh, top defender by the metrics in the minors, and he's probably going to be another one of those polished plays that the Rays like to bring out there all the time. Uh, and then, you know, like the league adjusts to them and they go back to being about league average. Like Brochow is another one of those. Third baseman for them can play first too. Um, got Dietrich for the Yankees. He should really work with that stadium. I don't know how much he'll play. Given the Yankees' injury history, he'll probably play a lot though. Kind of sad, but it is what it is. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anyone else worth mentioning. Kim coming in from uh, Korea, I think he's worth drawing some attention to. He's got a good swing. He's young for somebody coming over from Asia, like 25 years old. Um, So it's worth paying some attention to him. Azrubal Cabrera, switch hitter, pulls the ball a lot. Going to consistently play second base, not not move around at all. He's now in a ballpark that's perfect for him. You know, down the line in the Diamondbacks ballpark, the outfield isn't curved. It's literally like like it's angles. So if you're pulling anything, you can hit it over the fence fairly easily. I think that'll work for Asdrubal. Um, Miguel Sano, he's got power, but the strikeouts. Joey Gallo for similar reasons, but that's when we work our way around to the outfield. Um Sheldon News got traded to the Dodgers, but I don't know how much big league playing time he's going to get without a colossal failure season by someone like Muncie. Um, Muncie's worth mentioning there too. I think I've mentioned him before, but I don't really like him as much as other people. Um, and then you got Ahmed Rosario. He only hit really lefties last year, but also in the second half, he seemed to recover his overall offense from 2019. So maybe you're dealing with a league average hitter, which with his defense and base running will work well for the Indians now that they have him. Uh, that, In case you didn't know, that's part of the Lindor trade. Um, that's how he changed from the Mets to the Indians. Um, then I guess if anyone, uh, Alejandro Kirk, um, maybe he does something for the Blue Jays this year or Alex Kirilov. Those are probably the best of the borderliners. Kirilov's the top uh, minor leaguer for the Twins. Uh, there's a chance he takes over for Sano if Sano's strikeout problems become unmanageable. But then again, Sano was a tooled-up guy from the minors. Like He was one of the best prospects in the game when he was in the minors, so maybe he finds a way to become a little bit less aggressive. I mean, he did have the highest... Um, I think it was the highest barreled uh, rate on, on, um, on baseball savant. I think it was like 21... I, I have to... Pull that up again. It was barrels per, I think, batted ball event. I think that's the highest rate that, that he was leading in in baseball. I think he was hitting for like 21% of the balls that he was hitting uh, were hit that hard, whereas like everybody else was like not even like 19 or 18%. They were, they were well off of his total. It's a big difference. So maybe he doesn't need to swing that hard. Maybe he can slow things down a little bit, you know, hit the ball less hard, sure, but hit it more often. Um, he definitely has the raw ability. Um, and then we're looking at guys, I guess, like um, Rizzo. Maybe Rizzo recovers uh, some ability. He had, a, he had a monster home run the other day. Like, that was just – and it was on a pitch basically at his eyes too. So 
maybe he has a, a, a you know one good last year leading into his free agency. And then you have a guy like Andahar, who if he recovers some of his ability from his rookie year and somehow gets playing time for the injury-prone Yankees, you got him. He could play first uh, in the case that Voight has to be moved over to DH to accommodate a Stanton injury or a judge injury where Stanton's moving to the outfield. But I think Stanton's kind of permanent DH. I just expect him to get hurt. Um, and then lastly, there's Bregman. Bregman, who put on apparently 27 pounds of muscle or 23 pounds of muscle, either 23 or 27 pounds of muscle this offseason and then got a, uh, a hamstring injury. Um, he'll be back from it like fairly soon, but, um, yeah, outside of that group of people, I think the only, the only I was going to ask, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what about, uh, I was, I was gonna, I was actually going to ask cause you just said, uh, he put on a ton of muscle yeah. for the game in the off season. So what are your thoughts on, cause remember we're, we're here on the live stream. We're, we're live spitting right now. So oh, does anybody is, have a question? No, no, no one has a question, but I'm throwing okay. a, I'm throwing a question out there for you. Please do. Yeah. So yeah, no interacting here. So what about your thoughts on like, so he put on this much weight in yeah. the off season to go into yeah. the game. What are your thoughts on like, whether or not that's going to hurt or help a player? Because obviously he, he, you said he has pulled his hamstring and stuff like that, everything. So, so like, what are your thoughts? Is it, is, is it such, well, I'm messing up here, but is there such a thing as putting on too much weight yeah. Yeah. for the game? Or is it like, yeah. is there some happy medium? Like, from my experience, people who are on the bigger side, when they put on more muscle, they become more injury prone. Bregman's on the smaller side. Um, but that being said, like, he's really trying to adjust his game to accommodate for not knowing what pitches are coming. So I, I do see, you know, with him being as patient as he is and as small as he is, it's not like he's a medium height. So being patient, meaning, you know, you go from very much a, a you know set position to recognizing your pitch and swinging rather than, you know, swinging across more zone because of how aggressive you are and swinging at more pitches because of how aggressive you are. Um, I, I think it could cause him to pull more muscles yeah um and that's why you know with the hamstring it kind of already makes a little bit more sense but at the same time if he does stay healthy uh he's going to be able to up his power that's for sure um if you're putting on that much more muscle and you're already like a pitch selection savant which is basically what he is he's an incredible pitch selector like he he pitched like if you look at the in 2019 yeah sure he had the juiced ball working for him yeah sure he had the whistles working for him um so no he knew what pitches were coming but still he hit every different type of pitch and he has a history of of not striking out and walking a lot so when you, when you're that kind of guy where you really know the zone um I think he just needs to because he's going. He's going to make contact. He's going to make solid contact. It's just about accommodating for the difference of not knowing what pitch is coming and having to adjust mid pitch to possibly being wrong. And maybe if you're not hitting it as solidly, you know, because you're stronger, you can hit it, you know, harder. And so you know you're hitting the ball off kilter because you you know you're adjusting to the fact that it's, it's a different pitch than you think. Well, if you're hitting the ball harder, then you can hit it through the infield or, you know, what have you. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, a it's a adjustment that could work to a certain degree, 
But given that he's smaller and he's so patient, it, it could cause him to to pull muscles and um, kind of worry about his shoulders, honestly. You know, because he's going to have to be lunging more at pitches that he's not recognizing in order to hit them successfully. And with a smaller guy, I mean, I'm a smaller guy. I'm basically his height. If I was doing that, I don't know how I wouldn't start having shoulder issues in my, in, you know, in my back shoulder, in my right shoulder. So um, do worry about that a little bit. I mean, I guess it's worth mentioning people like, uh, you know, Ostadio here. Uh, these are all guys who just are like the the borderliners, the edge of the list. So um, some of these guys I think I might have touched on very recently in that 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 podcast where I talked about the 64 in under an hour. But given that injuries have now happened and given that we're getting closer to the season, I have to make very shrewd edits. So now we're really talking about the guys who didn't quite make the top 200, but the guys who were right on the edge. So um, if I have any other infielders that I'd say are, are right on the edge there, I mean, maybe Joey Bart gets on there. Maybe Matt Olson gets on there, although I'm, I'm not a big Matt Olson guy. I think a lot of what he was doing with the juiced ball, and then he's a decent hitter outside of you know the the 2019 season. Um, and then I guess Luis Renjifo. I think I might have touched on him before, but uh, he needs a little bit more consistent playing time than he's getting, and I, I kind of hope he plays a little bit more in AAA. But those are all of the guys who didn't quite – make my top 200, but they're, they're borderline, you know, um, Longoria, I had to take off the top 200. He was one of the last guys. I think we talked about, uh, in the last show, he apparently has plantar fasciitis. I mean, that's the worst news that, uh, you could get as a third baseman. I think, um, cause a lot of what it's you're doing, bad. yeah, <laughs> a lot of what you're doing is like hop, skip, you know, throw off a step, you know, throw off off balance. You know, using that you know arc in your foot and your and, and your ankle um, to kind of push off. That's a, a lot of plays at third. I you know I don't know how he's going to do it. Um, it. It's a very serious injury. A lot of people they don't really recover from it, um, and they're not really the same. You know, when they do come back. Um, yeah, it, it's just scary. So I think I'm probably going to have to take him off the list. I uh, put him on the, the, the borderline list. Um, but then, like, a lot of weird things happen with baseball with regards to injuries. Like, Cole Calhoun, he tore his meniscus, and, you know, I looked it up. You know, it's about, you know, it's a long recovery. It's like a six-month to full recovery, right? But I guess we're in this now age of uh, medical miracles – where things have been moving so quickly forward that um, they can now bring guys back from something as serious as that, like this, and now they're saying that he's not going to be too far past opening day, apparently, and he's going to like play, you know, definitely the full month of June. Like how he he tore his meniscus and had surgery. You look it up online; it says six months re- full recovery. I guess, you know, things have changed now. And then, you know, the other day, Framber Valdez of the Astros, you know, he, he, he gets hit in the hand. He gets hit in the hand by uh, a line, line, quote unquote, line drive from Francisco Lindor 
that actually hits him on a hop and he fractures his finger and he has to undergo surgery for it. He's a fractured finger, you know, and it's going to keep him out the whole season. How does this make any sense? The guy literally tears his meniscus and he's going to be back, you know, little after opening day per MLBTR. The other guy, he fractures his finger and has to have surgery also. They both have surgery, you know, and he's out the whole year. I mean, I get it, I guess, because, you know, you can't make bones heal faster and you can, you know, restring ligaments or whatever. But like, it's just, it kind of boggles my mind because like in my mind, I see those as different types of injuries. I think that's what it is, is that it it looks like two different types of injuries, but one involves something else. And yes. Yeah. So I've had to kind of like readjust things because I thought Calhoun was going to be out the whole year. And at one point, I didn't think Valdez was going to be out the whole year. And now that Valdez is going to be out the whole year, it's like, wow, Trout might actually be in the playoffs. Holy cow. This is pretty cool. You know, Um, it's been a while since the Angels did anything. But um, to get to the outfield, because I I do want to start to jump in there, because that's going to take a minute. Not as long as the infield, thank goodness. But uh, where should we start? You think center field, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Get center field out of the way. All right. So center field's uh, it's a deep position for sure, but it's also uh, an interesting position. Um, starting with Jock Peterson, uh, formerly of the Dodgers, now he's going to be platooning with Cameron Mabin on the Chicago Cubs. I think he's a great fit for them. I think he's a great fit for their ballpark. He's already gone off in a couple of spring training games. I saw him hit a homer the other day. And his swing looks back. Um, it's worth mentioning that this is a guy who absolutely toasts right-handed pitching, like 25% above league average plus uh, yearly against right-handed pitching. And for whatever reason, the Dodgers felt like they shouldn't play him ever versus left-handed pitching. And they played him so little versus left-handed pitching that he just really never hit it. But there's a perception around the game that Jock Peterson could be played against righties and lefties, and he would eventually adjust versus lefties if you just let him play. So there's also a theory going around that they're going to slowly do that with him, with the Cubs, let him play more versus lefties. Um, then again, it's not a very long contract. And um, yeah, you know, I, I, I do think that the Cubs are going to legitimately try to compete this year. I know a lot of people who think that the Cubs are just going to trade their superstars. I disagree. If the Cubs are in third place, maybe. But I don't think that's going to happen. But say I'm wrong. If they're in third place, maybe Jock Peterson gets traded. But he is a guy that we know can play center, although not the greatest center field. Not the worst. He can play competent center field. Um, But he can really crush righty pitchers in a normal season. Um, Then we got Inciarte. Inciarte is the lefty to Pache's righty. If Pache has a little bit of trouble hitting righties and you kind of want to reduce his playing time to bring him in a little bit more slowly, which I think is a very real possibility, you could put him in a straight platoon with Inciarte. Um, if you do that, um, I think you're going to get elite production defensively, offensively on the bases. But I also think that the fans are going to hate you. Uh, the fans love their future superstars. They love their top prospects. But it's also worth mentioning that, statistically speaking, Ender Inciarte is one of the five best center fielders defensively in the sport. 
Statistically speaking, he is a plus-plus base runner year in and year out uh, anytime he's given a full season. Um, and it's also worth mentioning that as a righty hitter, he has learned how to pull the ball more and walk more in recent years. So if you give him more consistent playing time, I, I think a little bit more of that power comes back uh, given how he's pulling the ball better now. Um, and I also think from the walks, from being on base more, I think he becomes an even better base runner. So I think a lot of people are kind of sleeping on Inciarte, especially in a lineup where he's going to have as much protection as he now will. Um, so he's a very, very underrated player. Then you got Ramon Laureano. I love his swing. Uh, there's something about how he's able to be out on that front foot and so strong through it and yet still get his bat to come through the zone at a good angle. I think it's going to give him a lot of power. I don't know how much it's really going to eat into his batting average. Uh, he is a righty here. So, you know, anything that is from that swing hit on the ground and he should pull a lot of balls on the ground, he will have the opportunity to beat out because he's a very fast runner. Um, and I do love his arm in the outfield. He's a true cannon. He's made some of the coolest throws that I've seen in recent years because he's not afraid to put the ball on an arc because he knows that he can get it there in time. You know, sometimes that's what you have to do. Uh, just ask Cespedes thrown from the corner uh, to get out. Um, I believe it was Howie Kendrick at home against. Um, it was. It was no. It, it was, he threw him out at home, but it was at the Angels ballpark a few years ago. Cespedes literally couldn't have made that throw if he hadn't have put it on that arc. It wouldn't have gone as far. It wouldn't have got there in time for the, the the tag to come down. Maybe it would have skipped and then you know not in place to get the tag going. So. Um, yeah, Loriano's got a cannon of an arm. He's a true I call you know, I call him a four-tool guy, but he's got enough of a batting eye at the plate that it doesn't matter that his hit tool isn't the greatest. Um, but yeah, I think he could hit about 25 home runs next year with decent center field defense and plus plus base running. Then we got Harrison Bader. I think he's more of a league average hitter. A uh, little bit of power, enough of walks to give him uh, 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 enough on base ability to use his legs. He's very fast. Um, not too much batting average, but elite defense. Uh, I genuinely don't think that the Cardinals would feel as comfortable just saying that, you know, he's, he's, a, he's our main, you know, entering spring training. He is one of the three opening day outfielders. You don't say that as a team like the Cardinals, unless you really believe in the guy, you know, and that was entering spring training. Um, if you look at his numbers, he had a really good first year. His second year, he sophomore slumped. In 2020, he was right about league average. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're going to see from him moving forward. I got to watch Harrison Bader in the Arizona Fall League uh, when he was in the minors. He's got a good swing. Um, he's not like a ridiculous, ridiculous hitter. But over time, he could grow into a, an above average one, like a, a comfortably, like 15% above league average instead of probably maybe three or four percent above league average, which is what you could probably expect this year. But with that level of base running and that level of defense, I mean, you gotta, you gotta like really put a lot of attention on him. Um, now here's another one. I've heard uh, that apparently the Boston Red Sox are planning to put Alex Verdugo in center field. It's an interesting idea. His offense in a sophomore slump plays a lot better in center field and he does have a cannon of a throwing arm given the way that Fenway is built. Not a bad idea. Um, and I, I do think that he is a guy who 
should be watched this year. This is a development year, and how he chooses to develop in this year is going to dictate a lot over the next couple of years. If he sells out, like if he if if, if he sells if he gives away some of his pa- his contacts to get to more power, for instance, what we're probably looking at is like a two seventy five two eighty batting average, but with every single year like twenty five bombs because he's got that kind of pull swing. Um, but he could also choose to just go back to his contact and just be this type of hitter uh, who will bat like 300 with like 15 to 20 homers every single year. Uh, either way, both approaches play for center field. That being said, in the sophomore slump, I don't think he's going to be either of those things. I think he's going to build up to one of those things. And by the end of the season, it'll be like, okay, this is who he's going to be in future seasons when you know he's not going through growth like he is this season. Um, so then we got Nimmo, Nimmo of the Mets, walks a lot. Um, decent hitter versus righties in, in, in most ways. Uh, I don't think he, he, he is a hitter who can hit lefties, and the statistics demonstrate it. Um, I've talked to people about this for years now, like literally ad nauseum telling people, like, look, I get it, he hits righties, but – he can't hit lefties and they keep telling me, Oh no, he can hit lefties. He can hit lefties. I'm like, no, he can't. His power also in large part is from the juiced ball and from the fact that he's, you know, this type of hitter where he's so patient works. The cat fouls off so much that, you know, once he gets to something he can hit, he'll pull it for power, but it's only against righties. It's a platoon hitter, not the greatest center field defender. Okay. Base runner. That's where I was wrong. I thought he was not going to be this level of base runner. I'll, I'll take the hit there. But on all other points with Nemo, I've been right. And to be completely fair, I just also don't trust his swing long term. So, you know, maybe that's another one where I'm wrong because, you know, he's so patient that he doesn't have to have the greatest swing. I mean, Gardner does that, but I also don't think he has the contact tool that Gardner has behind the patients. Otherwise, he would have been a significantly better hitter before he brought in this new approach that worked for him in the juiced ball year. Um, I think there's a significant chance that Nemo comes crashing down to earth over the next couple of years. And, you know, is mainly just a platoon bat who you actually would rather have in a corner. And then he's a useful player. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's nearly as good as he was like 2019, 2020, just saying. Um, and I'm going to stick to that. You know, that's just so far. I've been right about him being a platoon player. But I think, yeah, now I think the power is going to start dropping. Um, that being said, with that good of an on-base percentage and in a platoon with Kevin Pillar, the next guy on this list, um, I think it's going to really work for him. Now, Kevin Pillar, yes, he's the low side of a platoon. He's the righty side, meaning the lefties that he ends up facing. He's not going to get very many at-bats in center field. You know, he'll come in late game to replace Nemo, sure, but – in large part, you know, Nemo's going to be getting at least three at-bats per game in center, at least. Um, but the good news is, if you look at the Mets outfield, they have Dominic Smith, who's also not a very good defender. Uh, and he's a lefty. And they have Michael Conforto. And he's a good defender, but he's also a lefty. So with Pilar being a righty, he's going to get time in the other outfield spots. Um and I think he'll get a full season. I think he'll get at, le- at very minimum 400 plate appearances 
playing between all those spots as kind of the super fourth outfielder. Um, but with his ability to play quality defense, although not quite at the level he could before, his ability to occasionally rob homers, which is a skill onto its own, as well as steal home, which is also a skill onto its own. Not even Some good base runners can't even do that. So it is a separate skill. You add on that he is a good base runner overall, you know, I mean, to steal home, honestly, if you can do that specific skill, you can probably do other skills well on the bases. Um, you add on the fact that he's been growing in power and last season was finally an above average uh, against the league average player offensively. You have a very well-rounded talent. If you can hit and you can hit enough for power where, you know, your slugging percentage is in the 400s, your WRC plus, you know, is above 100. You can play the level of defense that he can play across the outfield and you can run the bases like him. And you have these specific skills like being able to rob homers and steal home even, which puts you in a scoring position whenever you're at third, no matter what happens, you're a very valuable player since you're an above-average hitter with all those other skills. So I have to name Pilar here. Big Pilar guy, have been for years. Um, and then, of course, the the other Kevin that was in the AL East with Pilar for a few years, and they, they would talk about the two of them because of their defenses, Kevin Kiermeyer. Now, Kiermeyer started to make some adjustments that make me think that he might be like a league average hitter moving forward. Over the last two years, he's made a couple of adjustments. One, to stay healthier. One, to become a little bit more patient, hit the ball on the ground and trust his legs. So the walks would get him some base running ability. Uh, him running out, you know, ground balls into singles would get him some ba uh, on base ability. And then when he would be patient like this, he would be able to run into a fastball now and then, which would give him just enough power. Add all this together, you get something close to a league average hitter, and Kiermaier is like the best defender in center field in baseball. If not, he's tied for it. Um, it has been for a bit. He makes obscene catches, covers ridiculous amounts of ground, and is a very good base runner uh, in his own right, which is part of the reason why he wants to use this approach just to get on base. So got to name him there with Pilar. Then you got Yaz, not Yastrzemski, uh, not Carl, his grandson, Mike. But the funny thing is, is that Mike was actually raised by Carl. So, you know, this is a guy who hit at every level of the minors, but he wasn't considered this ridiculously toolsy guy. He just kept hitting. Um, he was finally given an opportunity after leaving the Baltimore uh, organization. I'm not even going to call them the Orioles right now because, like, they're – they don't deserve it. They don't deserve to be a big league team right now. I'm just, I'm, I really, I really am upset with them. So, um, <laughs> sorry, Orioles fans, you know, but get your ownership to start like trying, you know. <laughs> but yeah, Yastrzemski, he left the, the Orioles. He joins the Giants. They give him a legitimate chance and he starts translating it. I honestly think that, uh, Carl Yastrzemski taught him how to hit big league pitching. Um, and if it is just he is just so polished that you know the big leagues are going to adjust to him at some point, I mean, it's got to happen soon. He's been doing it for long enough. He's been kicking butt for long enough. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's a monster. Um, so he's next on the center field list. Then we got Ketel Marte, down season without the juiced ball, but my goodness, did he hit in 2019. I do think um, he needs a, a bigger season 
than a 2020 season. He's a switch hitter. Switch hitters need longer in the season for both swings to come into, into uh, form. Specifically, the righty swing will come into form before the lefty swing because usually switch hitters are just more comfortable from the right side. That's just how it is. I, I, I don't know why. That's just usually how it is. So you have guys like you know Eduardo Escobar, who I named in uh, uh, the, the previous um, video that we did, not the live stream, previous video that we did, um, where he, he couldn't really hit because he couldn't get both swings into form. And I think his teammate, Cattell Marte, the other switch hitter, same thing happened with him. I mean, he, I looked up highlights from Cattell Marte. Someone online, he posted, I think he posted the 10 longest home runs Cattell Marte has ever hit, just moonshots. And like some of these were, were just like, I, I couldn't believe, I didn't even know he had this much power. Again, probably the juice ball, but they, a lot of them were from the left side. So it's not like he doesn't have the ability to hit from the left side. So I do expect to Cattell Marte to come back this year and really hit. Um, but the main reason why you know he you know his hitting just needs to be even just twenty percent above league average, even ten percent above league average is he can really really run, and that's always been apparent. Like this is a guy who could steal like twenty five to thirty bases, but he's also a triples guy. And in the Diamondbacks ballpark, I mean that's a triples ballpark, so. Um, any sort of power will play with his legs. So it's going to be really fun specifically watching him this year. Um, then we got guys like Bellinger. Um, now, now Bellinger's one of the top like two, three center fielders. So don't get it out of order here. Bellinger has been a guy who I've loved since the minor leagues. Uh, when he first came into the league, I told all my friends, watch out for this guy. And then he went off. And then his second year in the league before the, the season happened, I said, this is the kind of guy who's going to have a sophomore slump. He'll still be about 10, 15% above league average. Boom, that happened. And then I told my friends, watch out. He's about to have a crazy like MVP caliber year. And then it happened. And then he kind of had a rough year last year, but I think he needs to fully – I think he needs a, a longer season. with A guy with his kind of bat speed who's as aggressive on balls as he is, it takes reps. That's, that's another thing. Switch hitters take till the second half to really round into form. And hitters who have ridiculous swing speed at point of impact, David Marshall's study, um, those are the hitters who also take a little bit into the season to warm up. And I liken it to, like, imagine if you're swinging so hard that it just doesn't align with the balls that, that you know, are being thrown typically by pitchers. So what you have to do is over the season – as you know, you get more and more at bats. You're swinging so hard that you just have to align it better and better, and, and then after a certain point, everything's in sync and nobody can get you out. And that's how I kind of think about it with some of these guys who've got ridiculous bat speed and still the ability to make consistent contact. Uh, and Bellinger's one of those guys. So I think in a bigger season, he's going to do bigger things. Uh, then we got Trouter, best player in Major League Baseball, like. This is a guy who, if you haven't seen him, buy a ticket, find a way to watch him. He is a generational talent. Go and compare his numbers at the same point in, in, in you know, other Hall of Famers' careers, and he's putting up numbers on par with Mays, on par with Mantle, on par with everyone, on par with everyone. And year in and year out, his numbers are as good as the people who win MVPs. Like, if you just decided for, like, the last – I think 10 years about 
to just give Trout the MVP every single year, I'm not sure I'd have any sort of complaints at all. He's that consistently the best player in baseball. If anyone wants to say, oh, Mookie Betts is better, tell them they don't know anything. If someone wants to say Tatis is better, tell them they don't know anything. Soto, no. Acuna, no. You know, like usually I like to do this whole like, okay, this is who they are now. Like what we saw from Soto last year was incredible. So I like to think, you know, this is who he is now. And same thing with guys like Tatis and Acuna and and a lot of these guys who are breaking out and look to be now in their primes. How do you not know that he's going to just continue doing this now that he's in his prime and he's got those tools and he has those abilities. But Trout has been basically as good as the best player performing at their best every single year. He is the best player in baseball. He's a god amongst men. Um, so moving, moving on from that, uh, we got Starling wow. Marte. That's a <laughs> he's basically, a god amongst men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> like I don't know if there's like, just look at the numbers. Like just, just look at the numbers. Like there's no way of denying it at this point when the guy's been in the big leagues for like ten years. And he's done it every single year. Robin home runs, you know, he's even capable of doing that. You know, he, he's, he's still dominant on the bases. Year in and year out, he's between like 67% above league average and like 80% above league average. No one does this. No one does this. No, you're right. So moving on from that, uh, we got Starling Marte of the Marlins. Um, he's been moving around a lot. Like he was with the Diamondbacks, and you know, and then all of a sudden he went to the Marlins. Why is he with the Marlins? Why are the Diamondbacks trading him? Like it's kind of like boggled my mind because I thought Starling Marte and Cattell Marte that's a great combination to top the order uh, with the Diamondbacks. But uh, you know, Diamondbacks are trying to compete within their division, so I guess they needed to get some more you know minor league depth for you know future contention. So I, I get it, you know, um, but. I don't know. It, it hurts. It hurts because especially being out here in Arizona, I loved watching him. Um, speedster, great leadoff type, very aggressive. Yes, he's a center fielder now, a plus center fielder at that. But when he was with the Pirates and McCutcheon was in center field, even though McCutcheon wasn't the greatest center fielder during those times, um, Starling Marte was far and away the best defensive left fielder in baseball, the only one who was any anywhere close to him was Gardner during those ages. But Marte did some absolutely insane catches in left. So I like to bring that up because if you're a contending team and you go and trade for him from the Marlins, you don't – like if you already have a center fielder, you don't realize how much you can improve your defense by just putting him in left. Um, and he's like as good a leadoff hitter as they come. A lot of people think that leadoff hitters need to be patient, but he is such a good hitter that like and this is he he literally falls right into my theory where he swings at everything in and around the strike zone that is hittable so he doesn't need to work the count to walk when he's hitting successfully all the time you know uh, walks only drive in runs with the bases loaded they're not the same as singles yes it's a good idea to eventually be working you know towards really knowing the strike zone and hitting everything in and around it but you don't want to go zero like 0 to 100 
just be like, I'm only swinging at strikes, you know? If you can hit everything in and around the strike zone, and more than that, without getting yourself out consistently, I, I think you should you should do it. It's impossible for a pitcher to pitch to you if they can't even make mistakes outside the zone. Uh, it's just uh, that's a personal theory, and you know it, it holds up with regards to how playoff teams play. If you look at all the teams that have done well in the playoffs, specifically all the players that have done well in the playoffs, a lot of them are those types of players, or they're the types of players who were that type of aggressive and have just dialed in the zone. So they can they they now are just hitting strikes, but they're also still able to hit the pitches that are on the edges, which again makes them impossible to pitch. So. Love Starling Marte, fantastic hitter, very underrated. Um, then you got George Springer, cheating Astro. Um, he's now with with the Blue Jays. He's their center fielder. I think that's a very, very, very underrated move. Um, definitely a guy who I'd say is is going to really up their hitting. Um, even without the the juice ball and even without the the cheating, he was a very good hitter. Twenty twenty. I think that speaks to his ability to make adjustments, his athleticism, um, just his caliber of player. And uh, I don't like saying that again. Cheating Astro, you know. I want to. I want to just hate this guy, but I do think that he is going to be even on the live stream. You got to. You got to throw it out even on the live stream. I have to. I got to. Every time I'm. Every time you put the camera in front of my face, I got. I got to crap on the Astros. I got to just lay a dookie on them. You know. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, he's going to help the Blue Jays so much. That being said, I will fight people. I think the Blue Jays are going to be in fourth place this year. Uh, a lot of people. I think the Blue Jays are the most overrated team in baseball. Uh, I think you know everybody's just all hyped up about a whole bunch of people who have big league bloodlines, and they're not really analyzing things in the context of the juice ball and how it affected some of these people's numbers. And they're not really looking at how it, you know, their numbers break down month by month as big leaguers started throwing some of these guys more breaking balls. And they're not looking at the fact that they didn't really add overall that much onto like what they had last year. If they have a couple of down seasons from big players, like I'm expecting from a few of them, um, they, they're basically the same team. Now, I, I think that, the Rays have taken a step back, but I do think that the Rays, even with a step back, are better than the same team Blue Jays. I think it's pretty obvious. But, like, I'm not even going to say, like, well, you know, I've, we, we've already gone over our picks for the AL East. Um, so, you know what, I'll just say it here because I was going to say it on one of our recordings that we were going to do. I've made some, like, adjustments here based off of some of the more recent signings. I'm going to say it now. I think Boston's actually going to finish in second. That's. I thought Boston was going to initially be the fourth place team in that division. They made a couple of really smart moves, and when you add them all together, how they're going to work with the, regards to that ballpark, especially Kike Hernandez in that ballpark, Hunter Renfro in that ballpark. I think that they're we're, we're sleeping on them. We're sleeping on that. We're sleeping on their pitching staff too. Pavetta is better than we think. Nathan Avaldi. Better than we think. Eduardo Rodriguez, better than we think. And uh, Garrett Richards, their new pickup, now that he's completely back from Tommy John, he's another guy. I think that they, they're going to get Chris Sale late in the year, I think. Um, and that's going to upgrade them. Um, 
They got Martin Perez. He's got a chip on his shoulder to prove he can still do it. They don't have a bad bullpen. They still have Devers, Bogarts, you know, Vasquez, J.D. Martinez. Now they have Kike and Renfro. They got Verdugo, like I named a minute ago. I mean, it's they got a team. They got a team. And I, I, I honestly, now that Morton and Snell are gone from the Rays, um, and now that a lot of the league has now adapted to quite a few players uh, on the Rays, you know, guys who were really polished, polished players. The Rays and the Cardinals do that very well. They bring in guys who tattooed the minors, very polished players, not top prospects, not very toolsy, but they, they know how to get things done. And then once the league adapts to them, uh, they become about league average or slightly below hitters. So, um, But yeah, they bring along these guys that do really well their first year. And I think now the Rays are going through this adjustment. You know, They've had to bring in guys like Archer and Rich Hill and Colin McHugh to kind of give um, you know, Luis Patino and you know some of their other pitching prospects more time to develop um you know mckay's coming back from an injury you know uh you got uh the knuckle not knuckleball uh screwballer uh coming back from an injury as well um so you want to give some of those guys more time i think it's a development year personally um i think we're going to see some prospects especially in the second half for the rays but i think they'll be more of a force in 2022 when they can call up Wander Franco, who is one of the best prospects in all of the minors. Some people would say the best. Uh, a lot of people would say clearly the best. So uh, I want to note that real quick. But, uh, yeah, uh, Springer is going to be a huge help to a Blue Jays team that is going to have some growth from some of its youth, so to speak. So Springer's on there as a top center fielder. Buxton. I think Buxton's offense is finally coming around, which is beautiful. Byron Buxton of the Minnesota Twins, one of the fastest players in the game, one of the best defenders in the game, just a, a highlight reel of a player, pure electricity. If you haven't watched this guy, watch his highlights. Like, I'm going to be mad if you don't watch his highlights, straight up. Go watch them. Like, well, maybe not like now, like stay here with us. But like after, yeah, then go, <laughs> go watch his highlights because this is a guy who – he was the number one prospect in baseball for quite some time, but he can run faster than anyone. He covers more ground than anyone. I mean, he's right there with Kiermaier. That's why I say if Kiermaier's not number one, he's tied for one. Well, tied for one would be with Buxton because Buxton can do absolutely insane things. I kind of worry, though, that he's going to get himself hurt out there. He's done that in the past, like running into walls, you know. But that being said, if he learns how to pace himself, maybe put a little bit more muscle onto his frame so that if he, you know, runs into a wall, he's a little bit padding, you know, um, he's just, he's pure electricity, man. Like I, I, he's one of my favorite players in the entire sport. Uh, you know, yeah, he's literally like, if I'm going to pick like a top 30 players to watch in baseball, he's one of them, you know? So yeah, Byron Buxton right there. Then you got Aaron Hicks who, walks more than most almost anyone but also he's coming back from an injury and i think he kind of has a chip on his shoulder we know he can hit we know he has power we know he's a lot of speed we know he's a cannon from the outfield but i think he has a chip on his shoulder to prove that he can be as good as like some of the best guys out there because now he knows he can hit now he knows the strike zone now he's got this like beautiful buggy whip swing 
from the left side and then, you know, his usual just drop and drive from the right side, which is his better side anyway. Um, I think we're going to see a career year from Aaron Hicks. I think he's going to get on base a lot. I think he's going to run the bases. I think he's going to be a lot better than we remember him being in a while in the outfield. And I do think he's going to hit for like 25 to 30 home run power. Um, He thinks he can hit 30 homers if he's healthy a full year. Um, We'll see. Um, I think he's more like 25 homers with 40 doubles. Um, But even then with his profile switch hitter, you know, cannon from the outfield, good center fielder, has power. BSRs are, you know, as good as most people in baseball. Yeah, he truly is because of how much he gets on base and then how efficient he is on the bases, not just at stealing, but also going like first to third, second to home, tagging up. He's got one of the highest BSRs of anyone in baseball. He's a fantastic base runner. So you add on the power, you add on you know, that he looks like he'll be healthy this year. You add on the improved defense that he's been making adjustments with. Um, most people haven't really paid attention to that, but he's actually has been focusing on being better defensively in the outfield. It was very quick in the, in the off season that was like put out there that he's focusing on that. And then it kind of disappeared, but I, I remember it. And I think it's a really important thing to note with a guy who's as athletic and dynamic as him. Uh, so he's on there. Then we got Jackie Bradley jr. Now here's an interesting one. I thought initially, okay that Jackie Bradley Jr. was going to be in center field for the Brewers because they just signed him. But they're keeping Kane in center field. So I'm going to have to switch out Bradley now. I don't understand it. Kane's offense plays a lot more to a corner, and Kane has played corner in the outfield in previous years in difference to Gerard Dyson. And I do truly believe that Jackie Bradley's a lot more dangerous and dynamic in center than he is in a corner and his offense plays a lot more to center than a corner, but they want to have Jackie Bradley in a corner now. So I guess I'll talk about Bradley in a minute. I guess it's Kane in center for them. Um, Kane's great. Can hit for average, can hit for power, has this awesome swing where he kind of just leans back on the ball so that he doesn't need to put as much of his body into it. He can just get the angle going. And that allows him to hit for enough power, especially with his elevated contact ability. Makes contact very easily. Uh, Hits for average, like I said. Hits for doubles and homer power. So it's not just like he sells out for power. He does hit for about as much doubles power as home run power, meaning uh, 35, 40 doubles uh, and then like 20-ish homer power. But, um, yeah, he's a fantastic defender. So even just him being the center fielder, it's not the worst thing at all. I mean, he's better than most people I've just named at the position. He's a better center field defender than Starling Marte. He's a better center field defender than Springer. He's a better center field defender, uh, I think, even than Trout. So elite defender either way. Um, Brewers are going to have some sort of defense in that outfield with him and Bradley. Um, And then last center fielder I really want to mention here is Luis Robert of the Chicago White Sox. Now, Robert, he had a, a, like his first two months of the season last year, he was like 60 plus percent above league average. And then he really tanked. He fell apart in the last month of the season. If he is the guy he was before like the last 10 games, he is one of the best players in Major League Baseball, period, between his defense and his offense. Um, 
do I have anyone else on the honorable mentions list who can play center? I've always been a big Mason Williams fan, but I doubt he's going to get a chance ever again. Sucks, but I, I guess that's how it is. Um, you know, you need guys, I guess, who are definitely going to be an above average hitter rather than guys who are probably in the right situation being a league average hitter, although they could give you the defense of any other center field. That's what bothers me about, like, in the, in the modern game, they're so obsessed with offense that even at a defense-first position, they don't go with somebody who can give them just enough offense and plus base running and elite defense. They go with somebody who gives you eh defense and plus offense and eh base running. Why? I don't like this. This is not a sport if you do that. It's just a hitting contest. You know, like there's a reason why Moneyball doesn't work in the playoffs. But uh, anyway, um, anyone else on the borderline who's a center fielder? Let's see. Uh, Talkman. He hit a monster shot the other day. If he is like, if, if, if Talkman's 2020 can be written up solely to like, he was hurt in the second half and Talkman is who he was in the first half and who he was in 2019. Talkman deserves to be on this list over multiple people. But if Talkman is more about who he was 2020, or even just like maybe a 90 WRC plus, like decent-ish, then, yeah, he should be a borderliner. But I don't really know what to make of him right now. Uh, he could legitimately be either, and he has an equal chance of it. Um, I'm a sucker for Gerard Dyson. Analytically, people hate him. But he is perfect for laying down bunts. Um, if you play him as a platoon bat, and you put him as your nine-hole hitter, and you give him a lineup of like really decent hitters, he will hit around a 90-ish WRC+. plus. He's learned to walk in recent years. He's learned how to pull the ball a little bit in recent years, although I, I'm not sure if that's because of decline or not. But if it isn't, he's legitimately improved, not just at getting on base, but also at hitting. Going from with the juice ball to without the juice ball definitely was going to impact a player like him. But I also want to mention that He's got such elite defense and such elite base running that as a left-handed hitter who doesn't have a bad-looking swing, that if he can even get somewhere close to league average, you're looking at a very valuable ball player, and now he's back with the team where he had all that success with, Kansas City. And I wouldn't be surprised if he took over center field from Michael Taylor. I, I just I, I could totally see it. Um, I think that's a perfect ballpark for him, and now he actually has more lineup protection in Kansas City like he used to. They brought in a bunch of hitters this offseason. Um, so that's interesting. Um, any other center? Christian Pache, but I, you know, I think he might have been rushed. Elite defense, elite base running. He needs to prove he can hit for me to really, you know, give him a lot of attention there. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the center fielders, including the guys who are borderline on the list. Uh, so left field or right field next? What are we doing? Let's try out. Uh, you know what? I was going to say left. Let's go right field. Right field. All right, I'm down. So uh, right field has Yasiel Puig. Um, 
if he signs with it. And look, he's going to sign with a team at some point. He, he, the ability is there. You know, I, I think I've said this before. And I'll say it again. Like, Puig is genuinely one of my favorite athletes in the sport. And, you know, I've watched this guy enough to know that, like, he's got a heart of gold. Like, he, he really does. Like, he cares a lot. Um, but I also like, I've, I've been around a lot of people who, um, have disabilities. Now I'm not allowed to be like coming out here and be like, yo, Yasiel Puig has a disability. Cause I can't do that. I, I can say this, I can say allegedly, <laughs> I, I can basically, um, say, we always gotta, yeah, we always gotta say allegedly, you know, we gotta say that. Just, you know, because we don't we don't want to get in any sort of trouble. But I do think that there's a possibility that his hyperactiveness and, and the ticks, I wouldn't call it ticks really, but because I don't want to take away from people who have legitimate ticks, but the licking of the bat and the you know wagging of the tongue and the all all of these mannerisms. I think that that it stems it it may stem from something. And I do think that if 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 I'm right and he were able to get some sort of testing for it to verify this and then get some sort of medication, which could actually help his, his social life and his own home life and whatever helps across the board. I mean, I, I honestly, I want the best for this guy and that, you know, I see this, this guy does have, he's got a golden heart, but um, I just think it can't hurt to get a test to see if medication could help because if all of a sudden the league doesn't perceive this guy and teams who hire this guy don't perceive this guy as, um, you know, and you know, annoying even, which I'm sorry, but people who have disabilities can sometimes be perceived this way. They come on too strong and they're all the time. Um, if he can find a way to medicate that to a point where he's comfortable and his teammates are comfortable, his ability is so good that I can't imagine a team not being willing to commit on a long-term basis to him. Because if there's no sort of issues in the clubhouse, you're looking at one of the best talents in the entire sport. I mean, there's no wonder what would happen if you gave him lineup protection and a ballpark that worked in his favor. So for his personal life, for his career, for his kids, possibly maybe he'd make more money doing this. I think he would. Um, I just think it's not a bad idea to look into if, you know, if he has it, I mean, if he, you know, look, if he doesn't have any sort of disabilities at all, then taking the tests and, and figuring that out, no, no consequence. But if it's a possibility of making hundreds of millions of dollars or a hundred million dollars or $80 million, I mean, I, I don't know. I would do it. I would just take a test to make that much more money. I'm sorry. It's just, especially if it has a possibility of improving my life. And, you know, when you watch Puig play, I mean, it's obvious that like this guy has a soul of gold. So I hope something like that happens to him or like, I hope, I hope he, I just, I genuinely hope he has like a really good rest of his career. I love watching him play. He's like ridiculously entertaining. And it's not just, you know, who, you know all the mannerisms. No. He's got a, 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 a talent that just shines. It, it's incredible. 
uh, cannon of a throwing arm. I, mean, I don't want to talk about Puig all day, but goodness, you know, um, he's got some of the best tools I've ever seen. And he's put he's put it into production in the past. So uh, then we got Harper. Um, Harper's probably you know uh, if you take away the shift, Harper's probably the best player offensively in baseball. But uh, the shift eats him eats him up a lot with his current approach. Um, most seasons he's forty five fifty percent above league average still. Crazy power, one of the most beautiful swings I've ever seen. You know, he's just going to do this moving forward. I just, it hurts to think that this is a guy who would have been a Yankee if they hadn't made the Stanton trade. Because if you put him in Yankee Stadium with the Yankees lineup protection and grew up a Yankee fan, has always wanted to, you know, win championships in the Yankee uniform. I mean, I'm a Yankee fan, okay? So whatever. But. <laughs> Like he would have been so good. He would have been so good. So it hurts, but uh, at least he's able to play for Girardi and you know Yankees, you know the national National League version of the Yankees, which is the Phillies. They got McCutcheon. They got Didi. They got Joe Girardi. They got Ronald Torres. You know they got all these former Yankees. I love watching the Phillies play just because of that. But um, you know he's over there just kicking butt. Um, and then, yeah, I was going to talk about Jackie Bradley. Yeah, they're putting Jackie Bradley in right field, which is kind of wild to me. Uh, Jackie Bradley, he, he, he has a history of not being as good versus lefties, although he's been working on that. He has a history of being a hot and cold player, except when he's hot, he lights the league on fire, just puts the team on his back. But now he's been working on that, becoming a little bit more consistent. Uh, left-handed hitter, a little bit of power, because he's hot and cold, baseball savant doesn't like him because they don't like that type of guy. They, they underrate those types of guys because when they go through their cold streaks, they weigh it a lot more than they should because it's not who they really are, you know? Um, and he's obviously one of the best defensive players in the game and a plus base runner. But given that he's a lefty, in theory, if you're putting him in right field, you're platooning him with Avi Garcia. Avi would probably play against uh, righties and – or no, Abby would probably play against lefties and, and Bradley would play against righties, um, which would allow Bradley to play, you know, the full season, sure, um, but also from facing, you know, a consistently handedness that works for him and the league not really knowing him, uh, him going from the AL to the NL, I think he has a pretty decent season. Um, and then, of course, his whole team just runs the bases, so... Uh, that's going to be really fun. Like the Brewers just, they have an elite base running squad. They added Colton Wong to the infield too this offseason. So like they got Kane, they got Yelich, they got Arcia. Like they're fast. Um, but moving moving on through uh, right field, you got Mookie Betts. Now Mookie Betts is one of the five best players in baseball. Uh, elite hitter, elite base runner, elite defender. Um he doesn't really strike out. He gets on base. Like, there's nothing Mookie Betts can't do. Um, and now he's with the Dodgers, um, and you know he's, he's with them long term. And it's just going to be really fun just watching the rest of his career out in LA, especially because he, uh, you know, us Yankees are not going to have to deal with him. He was with Boston before that. I love it. Um, <laughs> Got to dump on Boston every once in a while, you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, then you got Michael Conforto. Um, I, I think it's possible that last year could have been a breakout year, but Conforto is also a first-half player. 
historically at least. Um, I like to think that this is like an, a new leaf for Conforto, and now he's like this monster, you know, hitter for like maybe the next four years. It's possible, but even if he's the guy he was, twenty five percent above league average, consistent health, uh, elite. Um, I don't want to say elite, elite defense, but consistently above average defense. Like non, you're not worried about him making errors there and losing the game for you. You know, uh, very steady player. Like if you're talking about a guy who just can be in there every day, day in day out, getting on base, consistently hitting for power, just doesn't really matter. You know, steady Eddie, if you will, always healthy, doesn't make errors. That's kind of Conforto. Um, and if he's turned a new leaf, now he's that with power. Like, like not just I – mean, he he's had power before, but now, like, power, power. Like, 35 homer power. So, um, it's worth watching. Um, then you got Will Myers for the uh, Padres. He's a guy who should probably be more of a first baseman. But, you know, they got him out there. They're kind of hiding the defense. It's not the worst defense. It's not the best defense. It's just kind of there. Um, he can hit aggressive ball player at hitting. Uh, hits for balls in play successfully, hits for balls out of play successfully, and very underrated base runner. So with the combination of those two things, um, got to have him on here. I think if you give him uh, a better ballpark, um, he does even even more things. Uh, and I also think he has the possibility of dialing in the zone, swinging at only strikes and more and more strikes over time, and I think that could give him even more power. Myers was one of the best prospects in all the minors when he was down there. And he was actually with the Kansas City Royals at that point. I believe they ended up trading him uh, in order to uh, they bring in with that trade. They traded him. I think it was – that was one of the trades that got players that helped them actually win the championship in 2015. So I remember being like, ah, you know, they lost him, but they got their championship. So it's kind of like with the Chapman trade the year the year after, you know, uh, you know, they got Chapman and then they lost Chapman to the Yankees after, you know, they traded for him and then the Yankees got him back in the offseason. Um, and it made them lose Glaber Torres, but the Cubs got their championship. So it's fine. Um, got Juan Soto, who's now moving to right field. Uh, I'm really hoping that what we saw in 2020 is who Juan Soto is moving forward, because if it is, you're looking at a Bonds level player. And when I first saw Soto, I was like, this guy reminds me of Bonds. Like, this guy reminds me of Bonds. Like, literally the, the first time I watched him ever. And, you know, I only brought that up, obviously, around select groups because for anyone to remind you of Bonds, let alone a 19-year-old, you don't really want to you don't really want to bring up a lot of those types of comparisons. But, you know, certain people, I was like, this guy reminds me of, of, of like, just across the board of Bonds. Left fielder. Uh, just absolute mastery of the strike zone. This buggy whip swing that he doesn't even have to fully hit balls to hit him out of the ballpark. And, you know, his head looks a lot like Bonds was bald, very similar shape, shoulders very similar shape. You know, the way his bat moves through the strike zone, very similar. And I was just like, Bonds, Bonds, you know, like Bonds. But, like, Bonds with a, a better eye at a younger age, but maybe without the base running. Because Bonds, got to remember, this for a while. Like, Bonds was a great base runner, like a, a historically great base runner. He was one of the, I think he was the, 
is he the only guy in the 400-400 club? I think he is. 400 home runs, 400 stolen bases. Um, but you remove the base running from this, and Soto just – he's a picture of Bonds. Um, and then last year, you know, he put statistics to what I, I was saying. WRC Plus was 201. It's 101% above league average. Like I think I said earlier, Trout on a year-to-year basis, he's usually 67-ish to about 80% above league average. And last year, Soto put up 101% above league average. Like Harper in his best year was like 97 or 98% above league average, and he's never done anything like that since. Um, I think the last time outside of Soto that we saw one in the 200s, I may be wrong, but I think it was Bonds. Um, so <laughs> that's cool. Uh, no one does that. No one puts up WRC pluses of, of 200 and, and Soto did, but again, it was shortened season. I need to see it over a full year because if he does it over a full year, I mean, Trout now has competition because that's 20% better than Trout. Even in a good, even in a good Trout year, that's 20% better offensively. Not, you know, not on the bases, not in the field. So Trout might have that even it out, but now Trout is someone there with him if Soto does it over a full year. Then you got another right uh, right fielder, same division, and they always compare these two. They compare Soto and they compare Acuna. The, the Acuna argument is Acuna could play center field. The Acuna argument is Acuna could go 40-40 in a season, you know, 40 homers, 40 stolen bases. That's why Acuna is better because Acuna – is, is, is faster, basically, is their argument. But Acuna batted 250 last year. Soto batted 350 last year. Soto's on-base percentage and slugging percentage were both 100 points, roughly, higher than Acuna's. If you're, if you're 100 points in batting average on-base percentage and slugging percentage better than another player, I don't care if the other guy is faster. I don't care if the other guy can advance one base more often, like by what, 30 times a season. It doesn't make up for a 100-point difference in those categories. Um, and if, if, you, if you doubt me, go look at the numbers. Literally, it was a 100-point difference across the board. Average on base percentage slugging is what it is. Um, and those aren't even analytics, really. So – you know, and then if you want to break it down to analytics, difference in WRC plus is just, you know, it's massive. But that doesn't take anything away from Acuna because I think Acuna is better than Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is the next guy uh, I want to name here, and that doesn't take away anything from Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is one of the best fielders in Major League Baseball. Robs home runs, throws guys out like nobody's business. He walks more than most people in baseball. He's got more power than almost every single player in baseball. Not just, oh, I hit the ball hard, like playable power, like ISO power, like BABIP power. Um, it's right up there with Stanton. And Stanton now, we don't know if he's going to be able to be healthy moving forward. So Judge might be the game's like premier, premier power hitter. And here's the best part about it. Because he has a fundamentally sound swing and he's six foot seven, he can have a patient approach while still being able to cover the zone successfully, hit pitches on the edges of the zone just because of how big he is. He can have a patient approach where it would normally be for a normal player just covering the strike zone, 
And because he's six foot seven, it covers the area around it too. So he somehow has the patience that gives him on base percentage through the walks, the patience and physicality that gives him power. And because he has a coordinated swing, a fundamentally sound swing, he has the zone coverage that allows him to hit against more different types of pitches and against pitches across more edges of zones, trying to hit the pitchers who are trying to hit the edges. That being said, Judge does have a weak spot, low and away with a slider. You can ex- if you can execute a perfect slider with two strikes in a count where you know he's going to be aggressive, he will swing through that pitch. But you have to execute a perfect slider within that count. If you don't execute a perfect slider and it's a ball, he won't swing at it. So it's very hard to get Judge out. It's very, very hard. Don't give him a changeup. Don't give him a fastball. Uh, especially in a count where he's swinging. He'll kill you. Um, so Judge is one of the best all-around players in the sport too. But like Acuna is a 40-40 potential guy. So that's why I say you know Acuna can put up similar offense, but he can do that. He's a, he can play center. you know. So Acuna is a step above. Um, then you got Jason Hayward, whose offense finally came back. He got a little bit better each year from his first year with the Cubs. Now he looks like he's back to hitting the way Jason Hayward used to hit, which is awesome. Uh, he was the number one prospect in baseball at one point in time with Steven Strasburg. All, like, some publications had Strasburg better. Some publications had Hay- Hayward being better. Hayward's an elite defender. He's a left-handed uh, hitter. Uh, so even should he decline, you can start platooning him. And now the offense is back. And because of how huge he is, there's a degree of power here. Um, then we got Gregory Polanco who like, I think he went yard off of his teammate Tyone, the Yankees new pitcher. Um, and you know, he said something really nice about Tyone, how like him and Tyone were going to be like brothers for the rest of their careers because they were injured like year after year after year, but the the ability was there and you know, they, they've hung around the big leagues and they're going to do it. Um, I think, Gregory Polanco wasn't properly conditioned in his 2019-2020 season. If you go back and you look at Gregory Polanco highlights from the last time he was healthy, this dude was an utter monster. And I think we could see a season, I think we should see a season like that out of him this year. Everyone is sleeping on Gregory Polanco. Um, I'm not. I'm, 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 apparently I'm not everyone. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think he's going to have a great year. Um, uh, then you got uh, Nick Castellanos with the Reds. I think it's good that he's joining a team – well, not joining, but coming back to a team that has enough lineup protection for him. It's not a good fit for the Reds. It's a good fit for Castellanos. I think his offense will rebound. Um, he, it's been, he's been a guy who's needed a power hitter's ballpark. He's been a guy who's needed to be um, – with lineup protection for quite some time. I mean, he was stuck in Detroit for all those years. Um, we saw a taste of what Castellanos could be when he was traded to the Cubs. Um, but then when the juiced ball went away, I think it really threw threw off his swing. You know, he has that J.D. Martinez, Chris Bryant-esque swing. And I think people who either come too far down to the ball at contact or too side-to-side to the ball uh, were really at disadvantages last year when the ball changed. So I think coming out of that with lineup protection and a ballpark in his favor, Castellanos is going to have a big year. Um, definitely has a lot to prove. So he's always hitting the ball hard. 
this could be his year. Then you got Adam Eaton back with the White Sox, the team where he was like an elite, elite right fielder. Like literally one of the better defenders in all the outfield for the White Sox the last time he played there in right field. And he's kind of going to be the veteran on that very young White Sox squad. I mean, they're full of former top prospects and youth. And, and I think that you need a guy like Eaton to kind of get things going because not only is he like a veteran, sure, but he's a spark plug too. He's a leadoff type who can hit a little bit, get on base for everybody else to drive in. And when you have like the leader of the club, the veteran guy coming off a World Series win with the Washington Nationals in 2019, I think Eaton's a great fit to come back to the White Sox. I think they needed exactly someone like that, a veteran presence with all of this youth going on. You know, Dallas Keuchel even made a comment about the White Sox saying that a lot of their players didn't seem like they knew how to win. They did like like they 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 weren't taught a, win, a winning culture, which is really sad for a team that has that much talent. If any team has a winning culture, it's the Washington Nationals. So Eaton coming over from there and having, you know, formerly been with the White Sox, I think it's a great great fit. Um so he's going to be a fantastic right fielder for them. Then we move to Whit Merrifield, who's apparently going to be playing right field for the Royals. I, I, I guess. I mean, that's I, honestly the Royals have Nicky Lopez at 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 second base. I don't know why they think that Nicky Lopez is going to hit, but let's say the Royals were to then move Merrifield to second and start shopping on the Puig market, that offense, holy cow, would be dynamic. They got a guy everywhere. You know, Sal Perez broke out last year. They got Soler. They got uh, Dozier. You got Merrifield. You got um, – you know, Montessi's a good guy to have in the nine-hole uh, spot. But you also got, like, uh, Benintendi. You got Carlos Santana. You got Dyson back. You know, maybe you, you put Montessi eighth, Dyson ninth, or the other way around. Or uh, maybe you've Mondesi in the one spot if Mondesi starts really hitting. But it, it is a very fast, dynamic lineup. And if you were to do that, it would account for the one hole in the lineup, which I think is Nicky Lopez at second base. But while Merrifield is in right field, we're going to name Merrifield on here. He reduced his strikeout rate last year, which was really cool to see while maintaining a similar level of performance. I think this year he could increase the strikeout level again, but I think with it comes more power now. And I think he's going to run the bases more because he didn't really run the bases too much last year. So with that power comes even more base running ability that he, you know, like he had the years before. Um, I think Merrifield kind of has a really good year this year. Uh, he also has more lineup protection than I think he's had in his entire career. So that's really cool to see as well. Um, and then you got Dexter Fowler, who's joining the Angels. He's finally leaving St. Louis where he was – you know, dealt with a barrage of racist, you know, slurs and, you know, just hate actually coming at him from the St. Louis crowd. This was genuinely something that he had to deal with a lot while he was there. He wrote a lot about it and he made podcasts about it. And I, I think it was a big issue. And I think he got in his head and I think it started messing with his performance. Um, now that he is with Los Angeles, he might be their nine hole hitter. I think we're going to see, you know, what they would call, at least back in the day, a dead cat bounce season from him. One last good year, one last, one last oomph before, you know, true regression and the end of the career 
sets in. And then, of course, you're looking at a guy who is a switch hitter. So with a longer season, he should do better. And at least against righties, Fowler was hitting at his older levels last year, even with being in St. Louis, even with feeling that, you know, kind of dread and, and, and cloud uh, every time you're going out there, every time you're going out to play. So, um, and that's all the, the right fielders. Uh, the, the right fielders that uh, are on the borderline, there's next to none of them. Uh, got like Jorge Ona maybe plays right field if they trade Will Minor or Will Myers rather. Um, uh, Jorge Ona has got a lot of power, but I don't even know if he's big league ready. Um, maybe Larnack, but I don't think he's going to take over right field. I think if Larnack comes up, he probably takes over left. I think Kepler probably at worst gets put in the platoon. I don't like Kepler. I think Kepler gets even worse this year. Um, but he put him in a platoon, he can do fine. So I think that's probably the, what they're going to do with the Twins. Um, Cole Calhoun, if he comes back from that meniscus surgery, I mean, I don't know how he's going to or what he's going to look at or look like. Um, maybe Dylan Carlson if they put him in right field. But I, again, that's a switch hitter. You're probably looking at him taking his first year to really develop and learn the show. Most switch hitters – if you're talking about guys who are coming into the show, it takes them actually a first full year to get into it. But Carlson's got really dynamic swing, really interesting power hitting tools. So maybe he does something in right field. Maybe is Robbie Grossman going to be in right field for the, for the, uh, for the Tigers? I mean, they have no lineup protection for him. I doubt he does what he did last year uh, over a full year, especially how he fell apart in the second half. Maybe Melky gets signed to be a right fielder. I mean, he needs lineup protection through the roof, but uh, he's he's a pretty underrated hitter. Um, a lot of teams have kind of juggled him around, trading him midseason. That messes with his numbers. Um, there's a lot of things that people have done with Melky that has really messed with his actual ability. You can't trade him to a different league. You can't change his team mid-year. You can't do those types of things and expect that he's just going to be the same guy. Um I think he's actually one of the more underrated guys to sign out there. If you put him at the bottom of your lineup, it's a perfectly fine seven-hole hitter. In fact, probably a good seven-hole hitter. Um, I don't know. Maybe Kellenic comes back from his injury and they put him in right field. I know they like Lewis in center, so maybe that's where Kellenic goes or maybe Kellenic goes to left. Um, he could go to really either. I'm not sure what they're going to do with Hanniger now that Hanniger's healthy. I personally think that uh, Hanniger by the end of the season is probably going to be at DH. So before we do left field, let's let's do DH, get that out of the way, and then we'll do left field and call it a day here. Um, so Hanniger coming back from his injuries, uh, I got to watch him in spring training literally like two days ago, three days ago, and he hit an absolute bomb. He looks completely back, same swing. Um, so that's cool to see. I know he's been a guy who like, He's known to have like a really hard work ethic. Like, so it makes sense why he's able, he's been able to come back uh, completely from his injury. And before the injury, he had two years of being a middle of the order hitter. So it's not just like a polish type thing. Like this is a guy who there's actual ability here. Um, you got Rowdy Talese who really started to throw it together last year. Uh, I think you see a full season of him being a really good hitter for the Blue Jays. Yeah. He emerges for the Blue Jays. So yeah, 
I'm not just down. Like, don't get the perception that I'm just down on every Blue Jay. There's quite a few Blue Jays that I think are going to be monsters this season. Vlad Guerrero, Rowdy Talese, Springer, Loretis Guriel. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm not just hating on all the Blue Jays. It's just there's some that are going to go through growth. But, yeah, Talese is going to be awesome. Big power hitter. Um, JD Martinez recovering from the, the effects of the juice ball going away. He's going to do fine in Fenway. I'm not worried about him. It's JD. I mean, he's been crushing the ball to middle of the order numbers for what the last decade. Don't worry about that guy. Um, especially when his only job is to hit the ball. Uh, you got Jordan Alvarez. He's coming back from two knee surgeries, but he was putting up such ridiculous numbers and he is in, you know, Houston's ballpark. Um, I genuinely think that he could have a, a plus plus year, just not the kind of year that he's had in the past. Uh, still worthy of being mentioned as a top DH, still worthy of being mentioned as a top player. I just think that we're going to see better seasons out of him when he's more fully recovered from the knee injuries, knee surgeries. He got surgery on both of them, man. Like it reminds me of that scene in Monty, uh, Monty, Monty Python. Yeah. Or, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. This is just a flesh wound, you know? <laughs> like, dude, they took your knees. My dude, it's not just a flesh wound. So whatever. Uh, honestly, the Astros are such a joke. Whit- Forrest Whitley, one of their pitchers, I think I mentioned he got hurt last time we were on here. Now we know it's Tommy John. So not just Valdez and Verlander. He's going to be out the whole year. You got Mr. It's just a flesh wound at DH. And then you got the rest of the fools, you know, like Correa, Bregman, Uriel, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it, it, it's, getting, it's getting laughable at this point. It's like, it's sad, but I like it. I don't know. But, <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so, yeah, next DH is Nelson Cruz. He's probably the best DH on the planet. I don't know how he's still getting it done. The dude's like 41 years old. He's still like – just crushing balls year in, year out, 40% above league average. He doesn't look to slow down anytime soon. He's back with the Twins, has lineup protection. I mean, monster. Nelson Cruz is just a monster. Uh, if you want to know to what degree Nelson Cruz is a monster, like we all talk about like, you know, 500 home runs as being like, that used to be the bar, you know. If you got 500 career home runs, then like, dude, you were a Hall of Famer. You were, you were like a ticket straight to the hall like there was no doubt you were going to be in the hall of fame well nelson cruz he actually started his career at like uh age 27 something like that i think he he had his first full year at like age 28 okay so you're looking at a guy who really hasn't exactly been playing in the show and, and and been being like that kind of guy like he like look at this 2005 okay how many years ago was 2005 chris i'm very bad at math man that's like 16 years ago (laughs) it's like 16 years ago right so but he played eight games that season i can't count it he played 41 games the next year he played 96 games the year after but he was off the bench then he played 31 games the year after that, and his first full season as a regular was 2009. So he's played 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, okay? And even 20, 2020, I won't count that as a full year because it wasn't really. So 
that's like what 11 years right right like about 11 sorry i keep i keep muting and then i'm muting and i'm talking to you and i'm like yeah yeah and then oh, no, i'm no, like, you're oh, good. Wait, I'm muted <laughs> yeah no you're good it's like 11 years right um, in those 11 years, with all of those like weird years around it, he's hit 417 homers. Like This guy only needs like a couple more seasons, despite only playing so far 11 years, to get to 500. Like If we're looking at these, this guy's recent seasons, 2014, 40 homers, 2015, 44, 2016, 43, then, 20, then 39, then 37, then 41. So this is a guy who's going to hit over 35 home runs, like probably, probably for the next few years. Um, like the last two years, he's had the two best seasons of his career ever. 63% and 64% above league average. So it, it's, how's he still doing it? How's it happening? You know what I'm trying to say? He's like 40 years old, still doing it, but got to give him credit there. Uh, then we got Framel Reyes. Framil Reyes is a guy who um, he's gone off before, and I've watched him go off like in the Arizona Fall League in person. Okay, um, but he's 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 one of those guys where once he starts going off, like he's one of the best hitters in the league. He's a DH or a right fielder for the for the Indians, so it's possible he sees time out there, given the fact that the Indians don't really have a lot going on in in the outfield. But this is a guy that genuinely, uh, when he's going off for his period of time, when he's hot, he could be like 60% above league average. I think a lot of people are sleeping on him because they don't understand what caliber of prospect he was uh, when he was down there and what he would do when he was in the minors. He's a ridiculously strong player. Ridiculous. Like everything off of his bat, as hard hit as it gets. Uh, some of his analytics compare well to uh, early career Giancarlo Stanton. So remember Framil Reyes. Then there's Jorge Soler, the DH of the Kansas City Royals, former prospect of the, of the Chicago Cubs. Um, he was seen to be as like the next big thing out of Cuba, except it was like, oh, this is a superstar from Cuba who's going to develop in the big leagues, going to develop in the minors. Um, this is a guy who he already broke out in 2019, but then without the juiced ball, it, it kind of, it was a little bit difficult and he went through a sophomore slump, if you will, as well as the juiced ball going away. But baseball savants XBA and XSLG both said he should have hit a lot better than he did last year. And now he has more lineup protection than he's had at any point in his career. He knows he's going to be the DH. He knows that, you know, he should just be concentrating on hitting. Uh, I think he has a rebound season, and I think um, not only does he do what baseball savant said he would, but I think that he does better than that. Um, so then we got Stanton, Giancarlo Stanton. I, we all know what Stanton can do when healthy. Stanton had a 59-home run season without lineup protection in the massive ballpark that is the Miami Marlins ballpark. His first year in adjusting to the American League, he hit like 37 or 38 home runs in like 115, 117 games for the New York Yankees. Then he got hurt, missed basically a full season in 2019. 2020, he did get hurt, 
but if it had been a full season, he would have still had the opportunity to play 100 games. So we don't know if it's two injury-prone seasons in a row because we couldn't find out. We couldn't tell. It wasn't a big enough season to, to figure out if Stanton was just going to be continually getting hurt because he was healthy at the end of the season, and he was healthy through the playoffs. So what's to say he wouldn't have just kept being healthy? If you add the number of games that he was healthy in the regular season to the number of games that he was healthy in the playoffs, I believe he got like 40-something games already. So like 60-game season, you know, where quite literally 100 games aren't being played, you know, that might be 140 games. You know what I'm trying to say? So, um, or if you want to not include the playoffs, maybe 120 games. So point being is that you can't really tell how healthy Stanton is or if he's, you know, is, is he is he an injury-prone guy officially or is it just the same, you know, this is a guy who does get injured and miss significant periods of time every few years and who misses, you know, 30 games every year, but that's more of because of how huge he is. Bigger guys will miss 30 games a year. This is, you know, happens with Judge too. If you're six foot six, six foot seven, you can't stay healthy for a full 162 games. That's just the human body won't do that. Um, so I don't really ding him in that kind of way. But so long as Stanton can be healthy for like 110 games at DH, he's one of the best hitters in the game at this point in his career. Although it's worth mentioning his exit velocity is now down about five years in a row. It's worth mentioning that he's hitting more balls on the ground than ever. And it's worth mentioning now he's walking more than ever. So, you know, maybe he's found a way to hit for more power and those are just the side effects or maybe there's a decline going on. So, but we will see. He's got a great ballpark for him. He's got a great organization for keeping him in shape. He's got great lineup protection. So maybe he can keep it going. So that's what I'm betting. That's why I have him here. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Stanton. I just acknowledge that, you know, even though he's not my type of ball player, he is an elite ball player. Um, Next, I'm moving on to Eloy Jimenez. And by the way, Stanton probably could still be a good defensive outfielder. Who's to say he couldn't just go out to the outfield and be the same guy he used to be, assuming the health, like I say, is the same as it used to be? He's an elite defender in a corner outfield spot, specifically if it's right field. So if the National League wants to take that contract, I don't mind it. You know. Anyway, um, <laughs> you got Eloy Jimenez, who's probably going to spend like, – look, here's the deal. Eloy Jimenez wants to spend time in left field. He's a terrible, terrible outfielder. And you have Adam Eaton and Adam Engel and Luis Robert. So if you can, I think at least while Andrew Vaughn is in the minors, probably start the year in double A, I think the White Sox are going to have Eloy at DH to start the year. Um, now, given that they have Eaton, who's a plus-plus right fielder, and you can kind of shade – Luis Robert towards left field, you'll probably be able to cover up for the deficiencies in Eloy Jimenez defensively when he moves out there, when Andrew Vaughn comes up, and when you move Jose Abreu to DH. Um, that being said, uh, Eloy's his bat. Eloy is all bat, 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 bat. He reminds me of a young Nelson Cruz. Same kind of approach, same kind of swing, same kind of power. Even Nelson Cruz started, you know, his big league career as a corner outfielder with the Baltimore Orioles. So uh, and Texas Rangers. Uh, which one was he with before? Was he with Texas first? I think he was with Texas first. Um, 
so yeah, um, I, I kind of draw a comparison between Eloy and Nelson. I just I see very similar profiles, uh, except you know uh, Nelson was just known to be a power hitter, and Eloy was known at least throughout the minors as the second best hitter in the minor leagues to Vlad Guerrero Jr. So uh, yeah, Eloy's a monster. Love him. At least thirty five percent above league average. Um, and then you got guys like Miguel Cabrera, where he's you know a good player. Second half, he showed he still he still got it. If you look at his second half numbers, you look at his baseball savant numbers, and you look at those, you know, whether you're talking about what he's putting out there or whether you're talking about the actual results in the second half, he's he can do it. It's just in as big of a ballpark as Detroit is, with very little lineup protection, it's hard for Miguel Cabrera to do much. You know, pitchers are going right after him. Uh, he's not seeing hittable pitches because he doesn't have lineup protection. And anything he's hitting, it's a huge ballpark. And he is declining. And he he is an injury-prone player. But I guarantee you put Miguel Cabrera in like Fenway with the, the, the lineup protection that Boston has, different guy. Totally different guy. Uh, right back to his prime dead cat bounce year, Dexter Fowler style. Um, and then lastly at DH, I got Jonas Cespedes. Um, Cespedes did a workout for a bunch of different teams. Uh, the team saw him play left field and center field. They basically have decided that he's more of a DH at this point in time, but also they came away impressed with his hitting ability. So I think he can still hit. Um, and if that's the case and he ends up signing with an AL team, uh, as a DH, uh, you know, my buddy, Sean, baseball guy, Sean, check out his channel. Um, he had the idea of Cespedes going to Oakland to finish out his career because Cespedes at once at one point in time said, I want to finish my career in Oakland. Um, and Oakland just traded uh, Chris Davis to the Texas Rangers to get Elvis Andres. So DH is kind of in flux for them. And the Cespedes kind of fits like, like a glove, if you will, like a baseball glove. Um, are there any DHs who are borderlines who kind of missed the list? Uh, I, I doubt that there are very many here. I'm going to do a quick scan of my borderliners. Uh, don't see any DHs so far. And, I, and there are not any. Well, you know, there's one. Uh, in the White Sox system, they got this guy named Yerman Mercedes. If he ever escapes that system, or if they start the year with Eloy in left field and they just put Yerman at DH at least to build up his trade value, maybe deal him midseason when Vaughn is ready. Yerman can hit. He may not be able to do much else, but Yerman can hit. Um, he walks. He hits a lot of doubles, 25 homer power. Probably about 25 to 30% above league average with the bat once he adjusts to the big leagues. He is pretty polished, so maybe his first year you get big performance out of him. But that's basically the only DH on the borderline list. Um, and then lastly, uh, left field to just finish things up. Uh, Dom Smith, monster hitter. Uh, he should be a first baseman, but the National League doesn't like a DH, so Pete Alonso is not at DH. So Dom Smith has to play left field. Do you want to finish up left field right now, or do you want to save that for another episode? Well, you know, we're about one hour and 42 minutes in. I think if I finish up left field, uh, we, we can take us right to two hours, and we'll be good. Um, and then, you know, and I think that, that caps it. So 
Let, yep. Let's just let's just run through it, and then we'll be good. Do it. Uh, so Dom Smith, he's definitely a middle of the order hitter and a left handed hitter at that. Hard to find left handed middle of the order hitters these days. He should be a first baseman because at first base he can actually play defense, which not a lot of first basemen can. But right now they have to put Pete Alonso there because Pete Alonso can't play left field. Um, yeah, Clint Frazier, who's going to have a monster season. If you haven't seen it against, I believe, Pittsburgh like a day ago, Frazier hit a ball that hasn't come down yet. It's left the stadium. It, like it was just it was one of the, the hardest hit balls I've ever seen hit. It was hit like as hard as I expect Stanton or Judge or anyone else to hit the ball. I, Frazier's one of my favorite players. He's about to go off on the league. Um, talking about people who went off on the league, Marcelo Zuna, my goodness, the Braves bringing him back was a brilliant move. Now all of a sudden the Braves are going to really be able to contend at the top of that division with the Mets and with the Nationals. Um, but, like, my goodness, Ozuna hitting for average, now getting on base at over 400 clip and hitting for ridiculous power. I mean, if he can just stay there and keep doing that for the rest of his career, I mean, he's golden. Uh, it's It sucks a little bit that he has to play left field next year. I mean, part of the reason why he was so good was he was a DH for them. You know, National League had the DH last year. Um, but I think he'll still be able to hit to this this degree. He's dialed in the zone after being a very aggressive hitter, and this is what happens when that happens. Players go off. You got A.J. Pollock, who had a rebound season last year. I've always been a Pollock guy. Um, initially, actually, I wasn't, to be fair, but after his first two seasons, I was. Because I thought he was just a polished play. I thought he was just a guy who was very polished and just kind of, you know, once the league adapted. But he changed his swing. And he became an even more dynamic base runner. And now he's finding ways to be healthier and, you know, hit even better. Love Pollock. Great addition to the Dodgers. Then you got Christian Yelich, who I guess I should have named him amongst the left fielders now because Bradley is going. No, no, no. Yelich, no, sorry. He is among left fielders. What am I talking about? Yelich is is a MVP candidate. I have to always think about how the, the Brewers are redoing their outfield. It just it scrambles my mind for a second. Um, but you know, Yelich, he's, he's an MVP candidate last year. He didn't do much cause he was recovering from a knee surgery. Should be the same guy. Not worried about him at all. One of the best players in baseball. Then you got Loretis Guriel, that blue Jay guy that I said was going to have an awesome year. He's their left fielder. Hits for average hits for power. He don't boo him. Yankee fans. He's not Yuli. He's Yuli's younger brother. Leave the kid alone. Okay. Boo Yuli. Yuli's an Astro. Um, Jesse Winker gets on base more than almost anybody in baseball. True middle of the order hitter. The lefty Castellanos righty with the Reds. Love him. Uh, really good hitter. One of one of baseball guy Sean's favorite players and one of his best calls ever. Um, then you got uh, Chris Taylor, swing change guy. Super utility for the Dodgers. He's mainly viewed as a left fielder. I don't have a super utility category. Uh, if I was going to put him under any other position, I guess I'd put him at second base because I think he'll eventually move there. Great player, hit a bomb in spring training, really found another level of performance in 2020. I think he'll be able to show that that's for real in 2021, be one of the Dodgers' more underrated players. I think he's definitely going to get an everyday role with them rather than stay as super utility the whole year. Uh, Ian Happ now moving from center to left field. That'll allow him to concentrate more on his offense for the Cubs. Switch hitter, great base runner, strikes it a little bit too much but maybe he can work the count, turn some of those strikeouts into walks. Love him. Could play second base, but I think they really want to work Nico Horner in there and just leave Hap alone so he can grow into himself. 
got Randy Arizarena with the with the Rays. Absolute monster playoffs. Uh, I think he's very much a polished guy, but given that he does have speed and he is a good uh, defender and he is a very strong player, he could go the AJ Pollock route with his career, like as a guy who's coming up and toasts the league because he has this polish to him, but then is able to make adjustments to stay at that level. I really like uh, Arizona when uh, they traded for him from the Cardinals with Matthew Libertor. A lot of people were telling me, like, who is this guy? And I was like, I don't know. I really like this move. And we saw why. Um, and you got Justin Upton, who's rebounding from an injury-prone season and a year where he couldn't get hot. He's a hot and cold player, and specifically in a 60-game season, he didn't have the opportunity to get hot. So I think a lot of people are sleeping on Upton. I think he's the same guy. I think now he has even more lineup protection with the Angels. I think he's going to go off this year. Then we got Andrew McCutcheon with the Phillies, former Yankee. He's a guy who is super underrated because he has this patient approach, but whenever he's facing higher caliber pitching, he's able to be more aggressive successfully because the patience is on purpose. Um, and he still has all that dynamic ability underneath it. That's why McCutcheon is so clutch because underneath it all, he's still the same guy. It's just approach so that he can stay healthy with this ability over a full baseball season. He needs to be a little bit more patient. He doesn't need to be swinging that much with his body being as small as he is and his skills as being as dynamic as they are. Um, you got Michael Brantley, baseball savant, says he shouldn't have done as well as he did last year. Okay, you know, maybe I shouldn't have him on this list. That being said, this is a guy who year in, year out is a 300 hitter. This is a guy who year in, year out gets on base a lot, never strikes out. This is a guy who year in, year out hits for a degree of power. Um, I'm going to bank on his history. Um, I'm going to bank on the fact that it was just too small of a sample size for baseball savant to get him accurately. Have to have him on the list. Then you got Brett Gardner who is kind of like the, the Kevin Pillar of the Yankees. You know, the Yankees have a, a center fielder who's a switch hitter and right fielders uh, and DHs who, and left fielders who are righties. So Gardner's going to get his, his time, especially with Hicks and Judge and Stanton, always having, you know, those injury concerns. And Gardner, will, will, he'll play a full year. And he's also a fairly hot and cold player. He started to really heat up at the end of last season but it wasn't quite enough to affect his full season numbers. So a lot of people think, oh, Gardner's finally done because people have been waiting on, waiting on him to be done for basically his entire career. Like actually, even Yankee fans. Oh, get rid of Gardner. He's too old. He's done. Dude, he's a hot and cold player, and he heated up at the very end of a 60-game season. He's basically the same guy. He's an elite defender, as good of a defensive left fielder as you can get in the game, one of the like best leaders in baseball. And when you're measuring him, with a measuring stick, you can't measure him against like Justin Upton. You have to measure him against actual other leadoff types. He's one of the best leadoff types in baseball. The Yankees need lefties. The Yankees need speed. The Yankees need defense. They need versatility. I'm sorry. I don't get the Gardner hate. It's ridiculous to me. Um, you got Tommy Pham who looks like he's changed his batting stance so he can engage his back shoulder more get more torque going. I think his power is going to come back this year. I think Pham has a chip on his shoulder. I think he's there to prove everybody that he can still do it despite getting stabbed two times in the last two years. Yeah, stabbed. Anyway. Um, <laughs> like randomly or like? I, I don't know, man. I just know he's been stabbed twice, and I just don't want to get into it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so anyway, apparently the doctors told him, like, he's, he's lucky that, like, 
he can still play baseball or whatever, which is that's that's what you need to hear to motivate you. Like goodness gracious. Um, so I do I do expect a good year. Man, uh, I hope he stops getting stabbed. <laughs> me too. And then the last three left fielders I got here, Kyle Schwarber, uh, not really the greatest fielder, but now he's joining the Washington Nationals, which is really cool. He's joining Juan Soto's club uh, along with Josh Bell, both of those power hitters joining uh, now the middle-of-the-order hitter, Trey Turner. Yes, he can finally hit as a, at a middle-of-the-order. It's not like he's just a guy who hits enough to be driven in. He drives in. He drives runners in that. So you have the righty. Uh, 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 Turner, you have the lefty Soto, and then you have the, uh, the switch hitter Bell, who's better from the left side, and you have uh, Kyle Schwarber, who's better from the left side. Well, who is a lefty rather? Um, now Schwarber really exploded in, in the second half of 2019, and I do think that that was like truly him coming out and like you know becoming the Kyle Schwarber. And I don't think he was ever really right in 2020, especially with the ball change. He didn't look like he was capable of pulling the ball the way he used to. It didn't look like he could come around on the swing. If you look at his highlights, he's very jammed up. It looks like he's not able to really swing the bat, personally, uh, in a way that's going to allow you to use your lower half and hit for power. He closes himself off. So I've heard he's made adjustments this offseason, and I do want to say, having watched Kyle Schwarber before he was an even, even a big leaguer, like this was a guy who like I very much like very few amateur players blew me away to the degree that Kyle Schwarber did as a hitter. So I do believe in in my opinion Kyle Schwarber was rushed through the minors if you look at how quickly he moved up through the minors in the year they won the World Series um it, it's clear, pretty clear he was rushed. But if this guy does adjust, if what I saw in the minors can translate to the big leagues. Uh we're looking at like an Ortizian offensive talent um and you know in theory if he's on a team with like soto maybe you know there's a little bit of tips and tricks that get converted there i don't know he's got a one-year contract he's going to be on the market next offseason he, he it's a prove me year you know and i think he's going to go off um and then lastly we got Marcana. plays good defense walks a lot probably more of a doubles hitter uh than a, than a true power hitter although he'll be right around 20 homers uh, but because of how much he walks and just how high his on-base percentage is, he ends up being like 20-something percent, 23 24% above league average. If power comes back further, you could be looking at something better than that next year. I'm not the biggest canna guy, I'll just be honest, but there is a chance that he becomes like a true, true middle-of-the-order hitter if that power comes back. Uh, and then lastly, Kyle Tucker. Um I, I, I didn't name him in the right field category, so I guess I, I, I do want to name him here. I kind of glossed over him. Not the biggest Kyle Tucker guy. I think a sophomore slump is coming from him, coming for him. Um, but he does have that kind of Ted Williams swing, a very classic swing. It's going to give him zone coverage, and he is a very underrated base runner. Maybe he's the, the one Astro that, since he wasn't really around for a lot of this, and he is going to be fairly healthy next year, maybe he's the one guy – who does well next year, and I don't have to hate them, you know, because um, I do like his swing. Um, and then lastly, since we're just under two hours, are there any left fielders who appear on my borderliners list? Uh, well, Kellenick, if he ends up coming back from injury, getting promoted with enough playing time and getting enough playing time, which now I'm hearing he's coming up in June, so I doubt it. Uh, if he's in left field, could be him. Um 
maybe if they're if the Indians are using Gamble in left field, I think he's a very interesting guy. He had a big second half, but again, that was highly weighed by a ridiculously high BABIP. Could have just been luck. Uh, ben Intendi, if he really rebounds uh, in Kansas City with a bigger ballpark, a ballpark that's a little bit more built for him, maybe Austin Dean for the Cardinals translates what he's done in AAA at the high levels. Uh, to the big leagues, he, he at one point was in the Arizona Fall League's Fall Stars game. It's not like this guy doesn't have tools. And he has performed. So maybe you're looking at another guy who's like, he's polished enough, has enough tools. Cardinals type of guy, he is with the Cardinals, has that one year. The Cardinals need guys like that in order to contend this year. Um, Josh Lowe, maybe, if he comes up with the Rays. I doubt he'll be up. Trevor Larnack with the Twins, he'll be up. He'll walk, he'll hit for power, but I'm not sure he'll get enough big league playing time. Maybe Jake Fraley, because Jake Fraley, like the angle that he hits the ball, allows him to hit for more power than the speed he hits it. It's like a it's like a DD swing, lefty DD swing kind of. DD doesn't hit the ball hard, but he hits it often and at the perfect angle. Same kind of swing. Um I I'm pretty sure that that's it, oh, Austin Meadows. If he's healthy enough and he's able to bring back his power stroke, then yeah. That's another guy who's a borderliner for the Tampa Bay Rays. But he does have an extensive injury history. And that power stroke, it went away without the juice ball. And when he did hit for that power stroke in AAA, it was for a limited amount of time after changing organizations, which could have been changing approaches. And I believe it was with the juice ball in AAA. So I don't know how much to really believe in Meadows, but I want to believe in him because he's the high school rival of Clint Frazier. Like they both grew up like a town apart and would constantly, you know, on their high school teams, play each other, get compared to each other. Um, I'd like to see that continue between the AL East rivals, the Rays and the Yankees. I think that would be pretty neat to watch. And uh, that's everyone. That's literally everyone. That's uh, the DHs. That's the left fielders. That's the right fielders. That's the center fielders. That's the borderliners on the list. Um, you know, uh, there's a few other guys that like I really wanted to find ways of of, of, of putting on the list. Um, like I, I want to find a way to get like Darren O'Day on the list. I really have been a big guy, a big, big O'Day guy for a while, and I don't think O'Day's a guy where you only need to play him versus one-handedness. I think you can play him versus both. Um, maybe get a, find a way to get Aaron Bummer on the list because uh, Aaron Bummer is a guy who um, his, his ground ball percentages are going to rival Zach Britton's, you know, uh, or Garrett Crochet or Kopech, those two guys who throw over 100 miles an hour, one righty, one lefty for the White Sox. Or, um, if Victor Gonzalez repeats uh, his, his his last year with the Dodgers, but with over more innings, or Gratterall emerges further, or Urias somehow stays healthy and is able to pitch a full season. I doubt they're going to give him a full year. I think he'll probably play a lot in the bullpen. Um, maybe Pomeranz. I've been a Pomeranz guy for quite a few years. Um, I'm sure if you moved Herman Marquez out of the Rockies, he'd be a fantastic uh, pitcher, even better than he is now, or even Taiwan Walker for the Mets. I think he's very underrated. Adrian Morjan, or I, I believe that's how you say his name, or, uh, or Moron, or I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name, and it's too close to Moron for me to mess that up there. So I'm just going to, yeah, him. <laughs> uh, reliever for the Padres, if he gets traded, 
heck of a starter for another team. Uh, Garrett Richards, he's another guy who's a borderliner, could be a real good starter for the uh, Red Sox, but I need to see what he is when he's healthy. Um, maybe Domingo Herman, you know, but that's basically it. And uh, I think between all of the different videos that we've done, we've now covered every player who's either a top 200 or a borderliner. I think we got everyone. I mean, I'd call that a really successful live stream. We got through it. It was, it, you got through every single player. I'm back. Oh my goodness. I'm back. Oh on my the God, screen. there you are. <laughs> I've been hiding in the background somewhere doing things like this. So don't forget to follow us for future content. Don't forget to check out the hot takes podcast available on all major podcasting platforms. This is not our last live stream. We will be back with more live streams. James has got so much more info to share. So many things happening in the world of baseball. And yeah, thank you so much for tuning in and watching. See you on the next one.